think I have a couple minutes left after Pastor Craig. I'm going to have to make it quick, though, so bear with me. All right, hey, welcome, everybody. Good morning. Um, Happy Father's Day to all you fathers who are out there and you out there online. Happy Father's Day. Um, it is, it is a, it's a special day for all of us, obviously, to, to honor our fathers. Um, our Father in Heaven is the model for that, right? That's, that's what marriage and fatherhood and motherhood, it's all, it's all meant to be our example of, of what it looks like here on earth. And we look to our Heavenly Father as to what, what a good, good Father here on earth is. And that's a high bar. That's a high bar, and none of us can achieve that, but it's a target. And if we don't have a target to shoot for, we'll miss it every time. So, so happy Father's Day to all of you. Um, let's get into the message. I've got a lot to cover. Um, and I'm, I'm going to say it. I'm super excited. This message, I know this, this, we're in week 31 of the book of Job. Can you believe that? 31 weeks, and we finish it up next weekend. Next weekend is the last, and then we'll go into a short interim series, and then we'll get into our next, our next series after that. And this one, I can tell you the reason that I can confidently say I'm so excited is a couple of reasons. Number one is that we're, we're wrapping it up after all this time, and God is speaking to Job, and it gets, it is so good. But even better than that is that I had one of those moments, and I have a lot of them when I'm writing messages, to be honest with you, but sitting in my office praying about how this is all going to tie together, and the Lord just said, it's right in front of your face. Don't you see it? And the words just jump off the page, and, and my heart just just leapt and pointed in this direction. And so I went, that, that's it. Thank you, Lord. He makes me look so much better than I really am when I go to him first. So, um, so get ready. Here we go. Let's get into it. If you're out there online or if you're here in-house and you haven't heard any of our previous messages, again, we've gone a long way up to this point. You can go back on our website, uh, either through the web player directly off of our website or, or our YouTube channel, and you can easily get to the archives. Listen to the previous messages, especially the first few, which really kind of lay out what's happening. But I think there's significant things that happen all the way through. At least I hope you believe that, too, because we spent 31 weeks in it so far talking about those things. So let's, let's again, as we get near the last two messages in this series, let's remember what the main thing is, what the main thing that I proposed at the very beginning that God spoke to me that the book of Job was about. Now, again, people think it's about suffering, pain, patience, perseverance, all these different things, and that's absolutely true. That's an element of it, but I believe that the point of the book of Job is that God can and will and does use the trials and the pain in our life to elevate us, to elevate us, to bring us to a place of of closer relationship with him, more dependence on him, and if necessary, to use that pain and those trials to refine us, to refine things out of our life, to maybe break things off of us that shouldn't be there, and then again, to elevate us to a place that we wouldn't go on our own. If we're comfortable and everything's going great in our lives, we have very little motivation to grow, right? Because growth is almost always painful, if not difficult. Nobody wants to go there on their own. Typically, there's got to be some sort of a reason or an impulse for it. And, and boy, does Job have some impulse to grow. So here we are. To recap now from last week, okay, last week, 
Job, uh, God had allowed plenty of time for Satan to have his way with Job. Okay, Satan was, was beating him up, using friends, using all kinds of different. Now, Satan's just in the background pulling the strings. We never see Satan. After that initial contact that he has with God, that conversation, that challenge that goes back and forth between Satan and the Lord, we never see Satan. He kind of just disappears. But we see his effects, right? We see the way that he's influencing those people around Job to try. What's the point? Remember, the point is to try and get Job to fail, to try and get Job to renounce God. Remember, Satan says, he only loves you because you give him everything he needs. He only loves you because his life is comfortable and you've given him all that. Of course he would love you. Take it away and he'll turn on you. That's the challenge at the very beginning. And Job had done a great job withstanding these attacks. It's the only way to put it. Spiritual attacks, verbal assaults from his friends... Remember, the only thing that God said Satan couldn't do is lay a hand on him. You can't, you can't physically lay a hand on him, but all these spiritual attacks and illness and all these things that came his way, all these things, but he never did physically abuse him like that. God set up those parameters and said he can't do that. But here we are. Job had come dangerously close. We see Job waver up and down. He's got good days, bad days, good times, bad times. And you see he gets really resolved in his spine and he stands up straight and he fires back at his friends. And then the next moment he's like, ah, maybe you're right. You know, he's just wavering back and forth like any human being would. That's how you know it's real. If it were a hero in a story, he would just stand up and go, I'm not having it and the end. But it's real. And he goes in and out of this this resolve and then he struggles and then he's back. But Job knows through all this, Job knows at some point he's going to be vindicated. At some point, his Redeemer, he says, is going to stand up for him. Now, after all this time, after all this back and forth, silence, Job gets his wish. Last chapter, or last week, we saw where God actually began to speak to Job. And rather than to answer his questions, after all this time, you'd think he'd go, okay, okay, Job, cool. Good job, one. Here's why this happened. See, there was this thing between me and Satan. And, and he would explain all this and say, you did a great job, Job. Okay, here's the reward. You would think that. But that's not what happened. Instead, God just gets up and reaffirms how mighty he is and how really little Job knows. Job thinks he knows. Job has, Job has kind of been prideful during a lot of this. And God's saying, you, you don't know. Tell me even the most basic thing. How does the hawk soar? And he can't answer those questions. So it just starts to show Job like you don't know everything that you think you know. <clears throat> In fact, pull a scripture out. I'll just read this one to you. Job 38, 1 to 3. It was from, from last week. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Now tighten the belts on your waist like a man, and I shall ask you, and you inform me. God ever says, put on your big boy pants, it's, it's coming, right? So God's first line of questioning, if you remember, was all about kind of the formation of the earth. How did the, how did the earth form? How did the stars, all these kind of celestial, big uh, galactic questions, he's asking Job, and Job's like, uh, I got nothing. He doesn't even respond. You can just see him sitting there going, I 
I don't know. So then he goes, okay, well, since, since you don't know any about the, how the earth was formed and how all those things happened, let me ask you some more basic things about just animals and stuff that you see every day. Job 29, 20, uh, 39, 26. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching its wings towards the south? Is it at, or verse 27, is it at your command that the eagle flies high and makes his nest on high? Even basic questions like that. And Job's like, uh, again, I got nothing. See, Job's sin to this point, up to this point, God declared Job blameless. That's the name of the series, blameless. God said he is blameless, not sinless, not perfect, but without blame to this point. But his, his sin to this point, the one that God is refining off of him, is this prideful attitude that, number one, he deserves to understand why this is all happening. Secondly, that he could possibly understand it if God did lay it out for him, he wants to know when it would end, and he's actually getting a little angry that God's not being a little more forthcoming with, with information. This is the sinful attitude that God is refining off of Job in this process, and the chaos going on in Job's life, the pain, the chaos, everything that's happening is making him susceptible to the lies of the enemy. So Job is, is in this place where he's just ripe to, to hear these lies. But again, he's, he's standing firm. Remember all the way back at the beginning, Satan had accused God of buying Job's devotion. I talked about that. But just to recap, Job chapter 1, very first chapter, 9 to 11. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But reach out your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will certainly curse you to his face. That's the actual quote from Scripture that's, that Satan is challenging God. Now, if you've been following all along, you may be wondering if the book at any point is going to address what has happened to Job. What went on behind the scenes? Is there, is there ever this conclusion where all of a sudden the curtain opens and you see what's happening behind the scenes? There almost always is, right, in a story. That's not what we have here. Satan was this close to having Job prove him right, except Job wasn't that close. Job was holding firm. He held tight to what he knew of God's character, despite, especially despite having no real answers. How easy is it to hold on if you can see the shore coming? In that storm, I see the shore. We're almost there. I can hold on. If you see the end to the trial coming, we can all muster up that courage and that energy and that resolve to hold on to the end. But if you don't see it coming, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know if it'll come. It makes it much, much harder to hold on. So now as we go into these next two chapters, chapter 40 and 41, he's not getting his answers here either. But we'll get some answers. I'm going to explain it to you here in just a second. God takes a second. Now, as chapter 40 opens, God takes a second and stops and asks Job if he's got anything to say. Okay? Job chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. It's on the screen here. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who rebukes God give an answer. So God has just called Job a fault finder, which... Coming from any one of us is not that big of a deal. Coming from God directly, 
That's going to get your attention, right? That word contend, by the way, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? That's the Hebrew word. Hebrew word is reeb, or pronounced roughly reeb, and it means to quarrel. So to contend with, sometimes we just think it means like to deal with it or to, to, to handle it, but it means literally to quarrel with. And what could Job possibly say after all that? What could Job possibly say? He's just been shown how little he really knows. Job 40, verses 3 to 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, this is Job's little, little, this is all he gets to say. Behold, I am insignificant. What can I say in response to you? I put my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply. Or twice, I will add nothing more. Now this is something, take a second and just think about this. In our culture today, in our society today, we are all, each one of us, gets a participation ribbon just for showing up. We're all told that we're significant, we're special, we're one of a kind, we are all special. And not only that, we deserve to be happy. We deserve to be prosperous. We deserve to get what we want. That's the way our society and our culture today especially is starting to go. In the Hebrew, though, it's even more, that word insignificant, it translates as insignificant in our language, but in Hebrew it's kalal, and it means vile. It means even more than insignificant. It means I am vile. Now, don't get me wrong. We are all significant to God. Every single one of us matters. He knows the number of hair on our heads. He knows everything about us. He's had a plan for before we are born. We have talked forever, and we will continue to talk and praise the goodness of God. But our expectation of what we think we deserve is where we get in trouble. If we start thinking we expect or we demand reward, we are always going to get in trouble with that. The word deserve means to be worthy, fit, or suitable for some reward. None are worthy. None of us are. And Satan is going to use that very idea, that very prideful idea of what Job thinks he deserves to try and trap Job, and he uses that to try and trap us. So my paraphrase of Job's, that's all Job gets to say right here. My paraphrase is just, I withdraw the charges, Your Honor. I've got nothing. And he just backs away because he's got nothing he can add to that. Now, adding, I don't know what word I was trying to go for there, but it wasn't adding. Job's got nothing to say. Showing a little bit of true wisdom. Remember, he's kind of had these little nuggets of wisdom here and there. But showing some true wisdom, he just shuts up. He's like, I'm covering my mouth. I've got nothing to say. Job 40, verse 6 and 7. Then the, jo- then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Again, now tighten the belt on your waist like a man. I will ask you, you instruct me. Verse 8. Will you really nullify my judgment? Will you condemn me so that you may be justified? In other words, not only will you, will you question my ways, but will you rewrite the laws of nature just so you can be right? This is what God is challenging Job with. Now, have you ever said, have you ever said, or maybe known someone who said, if I was God, or maybe you haven't said, if I was God, if I was king of the world, or if I was in charge, I'd do it differently. Have you ever said that? If you have, stay in your seat, take a seat if you're out there at home, 
and listen how this goes down because this is exactly what Job is doing. I wouldn't do it like that. I don't know why you're doing it like that. Now, God goes on, a little again, this godly sarcasm. God comes on and he says, well, maybe, maybe, Job, you could do it better. Maybe you're right. Maybe you could do it better. Job 40.10, adorn yourself with pride and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Can you do that? Can you clothe yourself with pride and dignity? Can you do that for yourself? Job 40.11, let out your outbursts of anger and look at everyone who is arrogant and humble him. Can you do that, Job? Job 40, verse 12. Look at everyone who is arrogant and humble him and trample down the wicked where they stand. Notice how all of these these verses, these three verses, center on pride and humility, the, the thing that Job is struggling with, the very thing that God's trying to refine off of him. Now, God comes out and he says, hey, if you can do all these things, well, then, then maybe you are right. Job 40, verse 14 Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. The right hand, the hand of blessing, the hand of of power of God. And he's saying, if if you can do all these things, then maybe you can. Maybe you do have that power, which we all know he can't do. Now, for the rest of this chapter, for the rest of chapter 40 and all of chapter 41, all of the next chapter, which we'll cover today, by the way, God uses two Creatures. Remember, he's gone up back and forth, all these different creatures. Do you know, do you know when, when the goat gives birth? Do you know all these things about animals, the hawk and all this? And he's used all those to kind of illustrate these earthly concepts. Now he uses two different creatures, if you will, to make his point, behemoth and leviathan. Anybody ever study the book of Job and wonder about behemoth and leviathan, what they are? I can tell you, if you go in and you study, and if you've looked at commentaries, you've looked at other Bible scholars, the vast majority of them will try and parse this out and decide which, what animal is what. What animal does Leviathan represent? What animal does Behemoth represent? Let's get into it and let's talk about it. Job 40, verse 15. <clears throat> Behold, Behemoth, which I made as well as you. God's saying, I made Behemoth as well as you. Now, <clears throat> again, there's been a lot of study. The question is that I have for you, and I'm going to tell you what I think. So are they actual creatures, or are they mythology, or are they symbols, maybe, for something else? Again, scholars go all over the place, so there's no 100% right or wrong. I'm going to tell you what the Lord revealed to me, and that is, yes, they are symbols for something else. So let's take a look at that. And since God found it significant enough to devote almost two full chapters of, of his speech, I think it's important as well. So a lot of people have proposed that this behemoth could be a hippopotamus. They look at all the characteristics and go, could be a hippopotamus like that. Look, hippopotamus can be pretty fierce, right? There, it's, it's attacking a, a crocodile, could be an elephant. Here's an elephant. Okay, that, these are things that Job would have been able to see around. It could be um, a water ox. Okay, a water ox, also known as a water horse in, in Egypt, especially they called it that. Fierce, they get together, especially they could trample you, they can, they can do some serious damage. Or other people have thought, what if it's a dinosaur? Now, if you read the descriptions, 
it kind of fits. It kind of fits that. But let's look at it a little bit more closely. Here are some characteristics of, of the behemoth, right? So verse 15, he eats grass like an ox. Verse 16, strength in his loins and power in his belly. Verse 17, he bends his tail like a cedar. Phrases like that, bends his tail like a cedar. Okay, that's not an elephant. Elephant's got this tiny little tail. Okay, so that's not that. You start putting them together and and trying to figure this out. Verse 18, his bones are strong like bronze and iron. Verse 21, he lies down under the lotus plants. Okay, most of those animals couldn't fit under the lotus plants. Verse 23, the raging river does not alarm him. And it goes on with several other characteristics. Let's look a little bit more closely at that word again. Behemoth, it's a Hebrew word, okay? That word behemoth is a Hebrew word, and it's a plural word. It's a plural intensive word of behema, which which means a specific animal. It's always a a large animal, a beast, some kind of of a large animal is behema. Behemoth is, is plural of that. So what it means is it's not one specific beast. It's a, it's a conglomeration of a bunch of beasts. Here's another clue, Job 40, 19. He is the first of the ways of God. Let his maker bring his sword near. Now, first in the ways of God, it's not a chronological thing like it was the first thing created. It means the finest, the foremost, right? The finest. In fact, Genesis 1:20 tells us that the first animals created were fish and birds. So that doesn't make sense. The important thing here is, though, that only its creator could subdue it. Only its creator could bring a sword near to subdue this behemoth. So what is behemoth? I believe that behemoth is a composite, okay, a composite of all of the powerful creatures, all the formidable creatures, but even more so than that, it is a spirit. And here's where we start to see this aspect of spiritual warfare come into what's going on here with Job, So listen up. Typically, when you're talking spiritual warfare, behemoth is a spirit. And the spirit of behemoth is typically um, applied to larger world systems like like communism. Or or it could be a a country like China or or, uh, some sort of bigger political kind of thing. The spirit of behemoth is typically a system or or an individual sometimes that can um, persecute or control large groups of people, or even entire societies or cultures. Social media may be a behemoth spirit in our society here today. I believe it's a danger for sure. We're going to talk, so we've already spoken a little bit about behemoth, but we're going to talk even more about the spirit of Leviathan which I think is even more, more dangerous as we go on. So the spirit of behemoth, it's a transition. Behemoth, this transition between the natural world, okay, not only the stars and celestial things, but the earthly animals, the natural world, and the supernatural world. So even though God doesn't come out and tell Job, okay, I'm going to tell you about this spiritual battle that's been going on, we can see it. And so this is written for our benefit all these thousands of years later. So let's talk about Leviathan. As we go into chapter 41, it's all about Leviathan. And if an entire chapter is devoted to talking about Leviathan, I think it's significant. Do you? We're going to take a look at it. Now, some scholars, again, propose that Leviathan is 
a huge crocodile. Very common in the Nile region. Here's a picture of a, we all know what a crocodile looks like. And if you listen to the description, it could fit that. Some think it might be a whale, like a big humpback whale or something like this. Again, things that they would have been familiar with in the region. Leviathan is mentioned in three different Old Testament books. Okay, Job obviously is one. Psalms is another one. A couple places in Psalms. Here's Psalm 74, 14. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. In other words, God is powerful enough to do that. But to honor Pastor Gabe and her Wait What series, Wait What? Heads? Did you catch that? You crushed the heads. It doesn't say you crushed the heads of all of the Leviathans, if that's a thing. You crushed the heads of Le- So, so much for the crocodile or the whale theory. This Leviathan is this multi-headed thing. The prophet Isaiah then, also in the book of Isaiah, speaks of Leviathan being punished on the day of the Lord. Isaiah 27.1, on that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. There's another clue on what Leviathan is, right? With his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives by the sea. Okay, so that's Isaiah the prophet talking about that. So three Old Testament books and one New Testament book. Anybody know what the New Testament book that lists, that talks about Leviathan? It's Revelation. Revelation 12.3 says this, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. That dragon, that's Satan. Okay, if you want more on that, go back and listen to our Revelation series. That's up on our, on our podcast, and you can catch that. So much imagery going on there. But that dragon is Satan. Go forward just a little bit. Revelation 13, 1. And the dragon, that's Satan, stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. That beast is the Antichrist or Leviathan, that beast from the abyss. It was born in a receptive atmosphere. They're in the midst of tribulation there in in Revelation. And it's born in an atmosphere where people are desperate for answers. People are desperate for some solution to what's going on. So what does all this have to do with Job? So at first read, again, if you read it through first, or maybe even you've studied it intently, the idea of spiritual warfare and God addressing what's going on behind the scenes, it's often overlooked or just not discussed at all. But isn't that at the heart of really what's going on here? We see at the beginning it all opens up with this challenge, this behind-the-scenes spiritual battle between God and Satan, and then Satan being allowed to manipulate and throw darts and torment Job the entire way through. Isn't that what spiritual warfare is? So why wouldn't a book that opens up that way address that at some point? I believe that's exactly what is going on here. God's entire speech dedicated to Leviathan is explaining that spirit that's in the world. So let's look at chapter 41, and let's see for ourselves. Job 41.1, 1, 
Can you drag out Leviathan? These are questions God is asking of Job. Can you drag out Leviathan with a fish hook and press down his tongue with a rope? It's the idea of putting a rope in his mouth like you would a horse to control it, right? Can you control, can you catch him, and then can you control him? Now, side note really quick, almost all cultures have some sort of a, it's commonly called a chaos creature, some kind of a creature that's out of control and the, and the God has to do battle with it. It's this constant tension, right? Almost all of them, Babylon, Mesopotamia, the Canaanites, Greeks, Romans, all had this idea of this chaos creature. But most of those creatures, the adversary is beyond control of their God. It's a constant battle. But this is different. Not only did God create Leviathan, but he controls him completely. It's not something that God has to battle with. He controls him. Job 41.3, will he make many pleas to you or will he speak to you with gentle words? In other words, do you, think, do you think Leviathan would be willing to bargain with you, Job? Job 41.4, will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? In other words, will he agree to be your pet or your servant Job 41.5, will you play with him as with a bird and tie him down for your young girls? Will you put a leash on him and give him to your children to play with? Job 41.8, lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. (laughs) Go ahead, try. Go ahead, try. See what happens. Now, I think this is the best clue as to what Leviathan really represents. Job 41.10 No one is so reckless that he dares to stir him. Who then is he who opposes me? Let's look at this. Because this you have to dig a little bit, but there's some clues in there. The word opposes. Who is he that opposes me? Remember, I use New American Standard. Your version might be worded slightly different. The phrase there, though, is Hebrew word. The part that opposes is a Hebrew word, yatsab. And yatsab means to present yourself in front of. Or to present yourself to. It doesn't mean necessarily you're in opposition. It could be complete submission. Who opposes, presents one to. That same word is found in Job 1.6. Remember what happened in Job 1.6? Job 1.6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. It's the same word being used here. And Satan also came among them. So in the opening, opening chapter of this book, Job, uh, uh, Satan presents himself before God. And here we have God asking the question, who is this that, uh, that presents himself to me? Back to verse 10 then, who is Leviathan? Leviathan represents Satan and his demons. That's who Leviathan is. It's not one particular creature. Now, with that in mind, Listen as I go through really quick. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out, and this isn't this is my paraphrasing of the scripture of, of this chapter. It's the description of this beast, Leviathan. Verse 13: Who can strip off his outer covering? Who can pierce his double armor? Verse 14: Around his teeth there is terror. Verse 15: His strong scales are his pride, locked as a tight as with a tight seal. Verse 19, from his mouth go burning torches, sparks of fire leap forth. Verse 20, from his nostrils smoke goes out as from a boiling pot and burning reeds. Verse 21, his breath sets coals aglow 
and a flame goes forth from his mouth. Verse 22, in his neck dwells strength. Verse 24, its heart is as hard as a rock, hard as a millstone. Verse 26, the sword that reaches him cannot prevail, nor the spear, nor the dart, nor the javelin. Verse 28, the arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned into stubble for him. Verse 29b, he laughs at the rattling of the javelin. Now Job 41, 33, nothing on earth is like him, one made without fear. Now probably the most illuminating, this very last verse, the very last verse of chapter 41, Job 41, verse 34, he looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Some scholars believe that the sons of pride are strong animals, those who believe that Leviathan is an actual creature and are trying to figure out what kind of creature this was. Pride is not an emotion that is present in animals. Pride is a human spirit, and it's only present in humans. So therefore, the sons of pride are those who have fallen into a prideful spirit. Do we know anybody like that today? Don't look at the person next to you. The sons of pride are those who have fallen into a prideful spirit, like Satan and his demons all the way back at the beginning. It was the prideful spirit that caused the fall of Satan, and that's what Job is in danger of. So today, let's take, again, in the time that's left, let's look at this spirit of Leviathan. Satan uses the spirit of Leviathan against us today. Let me explain what that looks like. Number one, Job didn't understand spiritual warfare, right? And many of us have only a basic understanding of spiritual warfare, unless it's something that you really have devoted time to. But Job did know that he had some things to repent of. He's actually not sure what they are, but he knows that there's, that there's something. But what Job had to repent of was the idea that he didn't have something to repent of. And that's a spirit of pride right there. It's called self-righteousness, and it manifests directly out of this spirit of pride. It's only one of many manifestations of the spirit of Leviathan. And I think, I think in today's society, today's society where information is, is available from multiple sources, anybody with a smartphone can get really the information, the knowledge base of the ages right in your hand. If you were alive on this earth in the time of Job and you managed to have a smartphone and you're there with Job, would you have not seemed like a god? Because you would know everything and it's that very, that access to information misused in most cases that causes us to manifest this spirit of pride. It's something that we all struggle with. So listen again. Listen again to this chapter. I'm going to go over those those um, characteristics of Leviathan, listen to it with an ear towards thinking about this being applied to a prideful spirit. Job 41.3, he will not bargain with you or use kind words. Okay, so I'm paraphrasing this here. He won't bargain with you. He won't use kind words. Job 41.4, if he makes a promise to you, he won't hold on to it. 41.5, you will not be able to control him or take him lightly. Verse 8, if you tangle with him, it's going to leave a scar. 
Verse 13, you will not be able to see the real insides of him. You won't be able to see the real him. Verse 15, he's proud of his imposing looks and strength. Verse 19, his words start fires that spread quickly. Verse 22, he is stubborn and stiff-necked. Verse 24, his heart is hard, too hard to soften. Verse 26, physical weapons and threats are of no concern to him. Verse 29, he laughs at threats of retaliation. Stubbornness and rebellion are signs of a Leviathan spirit. That's almost what it's talking about word for word here. Listen to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. That's a Leviathan spirit. Hardness of heart is another common sign of Leviathan. Remember Pharaoh's heart was hardened and God did that to him. But the result of that was that Pharaoh stood by and watched basically all of his people and his kingdom get attacked and destroyed again and again and again. And it only was at the very end that he finally said, okay, go. You ever heard the phrase, cut off your nose to spite your face? That's that prideful spirit. That's that hardness of heart saying, I know it's hurting me, but my hope is it's hurting you more than it's hurting me. Leviathan can even make it hard, difficult to accept the new covenant of Jesus as authentic. And that's probably its worst manifestation. Because in your prideful spirit, you can't accept teaching from Scripture. You can't accept the fact that something could be real and true and genuine and not cost you anything. Leviathan can also, and there's, we could teach for days on, on the spirit of Leviathan, can also manifest in cursing, compulsive lying, arguing just for the sake of arguing. You know anybody like that? Especially quick to anger in a disagreement. I'm not talking about an honest debate or a disagreement, but those people who just escalate quickly to anger. That could be a spirit of Leviathan. God's using these trials in Job's life to humble him, which is really our first and only defense against the spirit of Leviathan, is humility. Proverbs 29, 23, a person's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Humility is our first line of defense against that Leviathan spirit. The Apostle James put it together really nicely. James 4, 6, and 7, but he gives a greater grace Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee. Leviathan spirit is rampant today. It is rampant in our culture, in our society today. So is the behemoth spirit to a certain extent, but I believe Leviathan spirit is tearing families apart. It's tearing good friends apart. It's tearing churches apart. I've seen it. I think we all have, especially in the last year or two, we have seen, and it's not just COVID. COVID has caused people to isolate more, and that has brought these things out. But it's not a brand new thing that we can just point at COVID. This is our society is going this way. It's become an idol. This idea of knowledge of I know better than you, I know better than this person, than that person. It's become an idol 
that ultimately turns people away from God. And evidence of this idolatry is everywhere. Good, good, solid Christians, good, solid human beings spending their time, both mental, physical, spiritual energy, all those things, arguing their version of the truth, deifying those that they agree with and vilifying those that they don't all based on their opinion of what the truth is. Is this you? If you immediately said, no, but I know who it is, <laughs> it might just be you. Now, I don't, that's kind of funny, but I don't mean to make light of it. This is serious, and it's tearing us apart from the inside, this Leviathan spirit that we don't see it because only God can control Leviathan. Only God can do that. If we try and tame it or control it, us and those near to us will be destroyed, and absolutely there is zero chance that God is going to be glorified through our partnering with the Leviathan spirit. So if you think, if I just press into... um, If I just press into that Facebook group I'm a part of or look a little bit more at these conspiracy theory groups or, or, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, there are so many of these and some are accurate and some aren't, but if you're thinking, I just need to be a little bit more on top of my information, then I can glorify God, that is not how we glorify God. If we try and tame it or control it or pridefully think somehow we can, it's going to get us. So here's what I want to do to close up this message right now. I just want to take some time. In my closing prayer, I'm just going to pray about that. And I want you to pray along with me. Out there online, wherever you are, I want you to pray along with me. Because Leviathan spirit is not something that someone can point at you and say, you have it. Let's get rid of it and be humble because that spirit will then rise up in you and say, "Uh uh-uh, you have it. And it'll never get away. The one who can control it, who can point it out, and who can get rid of it is Jesus Christ. And he gave us that authority. Resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. God will point it out. And then we can, through the power of the Holy Spirit given to us, we can resist. So pray with me. Father God, We have all seen in this world so many places where the spirit of pride, the Leviathan spirit has infiltrated the lives of those around us and it's so easy to see it in someone else but it's so hard, if not impossible, to see it in ourselves. And so Father, show us. All of us, where we sit right now, where we are here today, Lord, I just pray that you show us, is there a Leviathan spirit in my life? Have I allowed that spirit into my life? Have I allowed it to damage relationships around me? Have I allowed it to hurt those people around me? And have I allowed it, have I allowed it to hurt the reflection of your glory in me. Father, for those people that 
you have shown them that they do have that spirit. This isn't about your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, anybody else. This is about you only. And if you have that, you pray this prayer with me. Father God, I repent of and I reject the spirit of Leviathan in my life. I renounce any spirit that is not of you. And I repent of the damage caused by partnering with that spirit. Spirit of Leviathan, spirit of pride, and all the different names that those demons go by, be gone from my life. You have no authority. You have no place in my life. We see you and your effects, and we will not have you by the authority of Jesus Christ. We demand you to flee. Spirit of Leviathan, be gone. And Father, help us to be the reflection of you. Infill us. Wherever that spirit was hiding in our lives, Fill us with the Holy Spirit of God that will bring us joy and patience and peace and those things that will reflect your glory to those around us. Father, help us every day to see the attempts of that Spirit into our life. And by your Spirit and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have the authority and the power to reject that Spirit. Let us do it every single time that it rears its head in our lives. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Hey, um, we're going to go into communion now. We have a prayer team in the back of the sanctuary. If you're out there online, you can put prayer requests in the chat boards wherever you are. We will pray over those. We have someone in the back. Look for the lanyard that will pray with you if you're here in-house. At the crosses, we have little note cards. If you want to leave a prayer there, you can write on the note card and just pin it to the cross. Our prayer team We'll pray over those. Going into communion. We do communion a couple ways. If you're out there at home, I can't help you. You need to be here in house. But you can take communion there at home with whatever you have. Here at the crosses, we have self-serve. We have juice and bread and gluten-free crackers. We also have the single-serve cups if you're more comfortable with that. You can serve yourself or your family there. Gabe and I will be up front. We have wine and bread, and we would love to serve you directly up here if you would prefer that. So you can just form a line right here, and we will do that. But let's take this time as we worship to celebrate what Jesus has done, to seal that covenant with him through the act of taking communion together. And men, again, if you're here in-house, grab some meat candy. We have some small coins, little medallions in the back there. Grab one of each and take that just as a, as a small blessing from us to you for, for being a father and all that comes with that. Thank you, Jesus.